Welcome back. Thank you as ever, always, for getting in touch with all of your thoughts and opinions. Best place to do so, comment section below. And if you've got a longer story, maybe with some pictures, you can email hi Tuesday at dobs.com. We'll start this week with a conversation from last week, which was passionate, varied, and intriguing. Indian motorcycle as a name. Is it racist? Is it cultural appropriation? How do you all feel about it? I'll read out three opinions here that I think very well summarize the thoughts of everyone, at least of the viewership. I'll start with Bridget. Typically, the American worried about the Indian name is not the type of American riding motorcycles. Also, there are even certain tribes doing petitions to get that American football team's name back, saying it keeps their heritage at least in the limelight. As someone with Native American heritage, I signed it. Sincerely, an American tired of all the woke whining over stupid stuff that doesn't really matter. That is also why any new models from Indian motorcycles do not have names like that. The only ones are the names they've always had. The new models get generic names. Think Challenger, Pursuit, etc. On to Thirsty Fox. Me, my family and extended family are indigenous and some even work with various groups across North America. And brands like Indian don't bother us. For many of us, it's nicer to see people get joy from aspects of our traditional cultures, something people see as cool, respectable and strong, rather than something to ridicule or worse yet, complete erasure. There are far more pressing issues at hand, I assure you. It is generally the activists that get platformed by media who tell everyone how offended we all are on our behalf. But we're more hardy and good-spirited than that. Most would rather people know, love and cherish in our culture with us rather than be treated as people that need to be kept separate and away. It would be different if they were acting in a harmful, disrespectful way, but I don't see it as such. I'll wrap this up with Jathan. I'm not, just for some balance here, I'm not Native American, but I am Puerto Rican and we have a strong affinity and connection to our indigenous heritage. I'm empathetic to these organizations that want to challenge these names as I would feel very uncomfortable buying a product with a name that's both culturally inaccurate and appropriated. It's really interesting this. I found this so interesting. Thank you all for sharing your thoughts. The vast, vast majority of people who got in touch said that it is, whether you want to call it wokeness, political correctness, whatever, they said it's just that end of the spectrum gone completely, completely mad. And it's looking for insults where there is no insult. That's the general vibe I got from it. From my insight, or from my point of view, an outsider's point of view, I mean, I... For me, it looks like it's a celebration of the rich, proud culture and heritage. That's just, from my opinion, what I perceive it as. But it's been great getting your opinions. Thank you all. Moving on to your rides. Let's do a bit of this. This is from Rupert in Hong Kong. I thought I'd share some pictures. Rupert, these are brilliant. I'll open these up and share these as we go along. 
I thought I'd share some pictures of my other half, Fang Yi, a former professional volleyball player with zero motorcycle experience and a Chinese license that required nothing more than riding around some bollards, rode with me around the world on a thousand cc KTM. 15 years ago, Fang Yi rejected the idea of a sensible bike, of a sensible bike and opted for the most exciting of all the adventure bikes around, for no other reason than it was the best. My warnings and threats that if she drops it, she will have to pick it up by herself were greeted with May Wen Tea. No problem. As I've said before, if you're going to ride a bike every day for several years on every surface, in every condition our planet has to offer, you better love and admire it for its qualities other than reliability, fuel economy, and ease of riding. Rupert, these, some of these pictures, they're all amazing. But just this one here, sitting in the desert with those two KTMs parked up, nothing but desert and some mountains in the distance, a, a spare tyre there, clothes hanging up between the two motorcycles and just a tent in the middle. Ah, uh, oh, what, what an adventure. So that is a around the world trip on two KTMs. Husband and wife, both on 1000 cc's. Incredible, Rupert, incredible. On to Alan in Australia. I've enclosed a photo of the two steeds taking up pride of place in my garage. That is a 2020 Triumph Street Scrambler with just over 10,000 kilometers on the clock that I've owned for 13 months. The other, a 2013 Honda Goldwing F6B. I've had this bike just over two years and it's done 81,000 kilometers. I live in a small coastal town of Lawn, Victoria, Australia, on what is known as the Great Ocean Road. Oh, Alan, I can imagine a thousand miles at a time on that Goldwing, just mile munching away. This I found interesting. Let's get on now to power and slightly go back to the conversation from hyperbikes. Bikes with ludicrous amounts of power. I mean, spaceship levels of power. The kind of bikes that are sold on those performance figures where it just blows your mind so much that you can get this feeling of power. It becomes addictive and it's the main selling point of this bike, the performance figures as the key selling point. Bib the Boulder said to me, Freddie, you can have the same thrust of excitement for even less than that 10,000 pound secondhand Kawasaki ZH2, the 200 horsepower monster. I continue from Bib the Boulder. Kawasaki have the mighty ZZR 1400 available. You can pick up a decent used Suzuki Hayabusa also for half the price of the ZH2. So there are two Japanese heavyweights, both machines offering absolutely stunning performance. I'm going to focus on one. The Hayabusa is the 1300 horsepower, 1300 horsepower, 1300cc monster from Suzuki, but let's just have a look at this. Kawasaki ZZR1400. How, can this really match 
the ZH2. Okay, so have, li have a listen to this. This blew my mind. Kawasaki ZZR 1400, pictured here, 197 horsepower. Is this really true? Is it this much? It's the same horsepower as the ZH2. Top speed, 186 miles an hour. The same top speed as the ZH2. Not to 60 of the ZZR 1400. Not to 60 is 2.6 seconds. 2.6 seconds. And the ZH2, not to 60, the best I could find anywhere online was 3.3. So we've got a bike here in the ZZR 1400 that is somehow faster than the ZH2. But how cheap can we get a ZZR 1400? Bib the Boulder said half the price. Is that just, is that true? One's, bear with me, let me just flick through this. And we've got one, 2013, it's true. 2013 Kawasaki ZZR 1400 Special Edition, 5,900 pounds without looking. You can get one of these for five grand. It's been for sale for four months. And just look at that front view of, view of it. Gigantic, bulbous machine. I mean, it looks like a rocket ship covered in plastic. But the difference between this and the ZH2, this is a gigantic beast. And it's a proper sports tourer. So you get all of the power and performance from the ZH2, but in what is probably a more comfortable package and half the price. That is a 200 horsepower monster for 5,000 pounds. That's got Bugatti Veyron levels of 0-60 speed, acceleration, incredible. Motorcycle ceramic coating now. I'll be completely honest, this is not something I've ever considered doing because I'm just not the kind of rider who, who has mint condition bikes. But there are many, many who like to keep their bikes in good condition, especially if you buy it new or have an expensive bike, let's say £10,000 plus. This is from Camel. Freddie, I wonder, would you be able to shine some light onto the motorcycle ceramic coating topic? It's not cheap to have done anything between 300 and 600 pounds with valeting. Options are, or opinions are mixed from an utter waste of money to I'm doing it on every single bike I own. There are a lot of different companies and products at the market and to be honest, I'm lost. Should I get it done on my BMW R1250 GSA Trophy 2022? What are riders' long-term experiences? Coating's meant to protect for up to 10 years. Look, is this all marketing talk or a legit promise? Camel. Camel, I've had a read about this. I picked one website at random, and this is from Supreme Coat. They actually focus on this kind of stuff. They've listed the stuff they do here for around about the 400 pound mark, including full decant contamination, a full deep clean wash, wax and polish. Then they do the coating. It protects from UVA and acid rain. It has resistance to environmental fallout. It helps you cleaning in the future and it is all season ready. And they guarantee a minimum of six hours work on the bike and a long lasting effect. That is 10 years if it's a new bike and seven years if it's a used bike. 
Now, to the best of my knowledge, looking at this, it does protect from all of the elements. So if you, if you can get a protection like this, let's say 400 pounds, I'm curious for anyone who's done it, does it mean that you get this 400 pound treatment, which may sound like a lot, but they give it a complete deep clean as well. And if you want a deep clean for a motorbike, really going into all of the nuts and bolts, you could easily spend a hundred pounds on that alone, bear in mind. Does that mean that with fairly minimal maintenance, you can have a decently rust-free bike, almost guaranteed, for seven to 10 years. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Have you had your motorbikes ceramic coated? Do you swear by it? Does it really work? And on the other end of the spectrum, have you tried it and it didn't work? I'll share the, the thoughts on that next week if you're all so kind to share your experiences. Now I'm going on to a little bit of riding in Australia. Salt Lake Racing with Triumphs. Freddie, my family are the importers and distributors of Triumph here in Australia. And it's fair to say we're also big Triumph fans. There is an annual event. I mean, what an adventure here. I'll put a few screenshots of the video on YouTube and I'll put a link down below. This is just brilliant. There's an annual event here that you should consider coming to if you get the chance. We go every other year and take a few Triumphs and, mates BM and a mate's BMW. Listen to this, to try to get speed records. Our group of friends currently hold a couple of world records and a few class records as well. It takes us about, I mean, this is the insane size of Australia, just ludicrous. It takes us about two and a half days to drive from Melbourne out to the Salt Lake. The last eight hours of driving is all on dirt tracks. It's 35 to 45 degrees and it is brutal. Some don't even make it out of the lake. We are off the grid for eight to 10 days camping and racing bikes. Maybe, maybe a little drinking involved. David, David, these pictures, I mean, the video with the pictures that I've just screenshot. Eight to 10 days, just camping, having a few beers in the evening and trying to break some casual speed records. Oh, this is why Australia is so amazing. Just outdoor lifestyle at its best. I must do that once in my life at least, I must. Onto the Kawasaki ZH2, I return to this. What's the reality of it like? I've got two people here who have owned the bike or a similar bike. This is from Mr. P. Munson. Freddie, have you seen how much the 15,000 mile service is on the Kawasaki ZH2? I was quoted at least a thousand pounds plus any extra parts. And they wanted the bike for two days. The reality, I used to get 30 miles per gallon with it. On mine, but, but, you are riding an amazing machine. I still regret selling it. If you want something very, very slightly more dialed back, and I do mean very slightly more. This is from Chris. Kawasaki service costs aren't cheap, and I only own a 2022 Ninja 1000SX. 
The major service is £650, and that's every 7,500 miles. £270 for just a basic service. I dread to think how much they would charge on a turbocharged or supercharged bike. I guess you can't think just because it's Japanese that it's going to be a walk in the park with regards to maintenance. Performance is performance and once you get up to the hyper levels of bikes, everything is going to be more. That's a really interesting insight. Bike of the week, let's wrap it up here. Let me be completely honest. I saw this for bike of the week and I thought, is this a bit ridiculous? Because I don't actually know if it's that sensible or not, but you have to appeal to a broad church. So I'm just going to share this anyway. Although I feel slightly ridiculous sharing it. Kajiva Elephant 900. I mean, this is a completely ridiculous name. The Elephant 900. This is a proper Paris-Dakar racer bike made from 1993 to 1999 in the 900cc version. 68 horsepower, 206 kilos. Nothing here sounds too amazing, but what it does have is a Ducati V-twin engine on a desert racer chassis. It sounds really cool. It's incredibly rare, but but bear in mind, this is a proper Paris-Dakar racer bike. And I saw last year a genuine Paris-Dakar racer, Kajiva Elephant 900, that actually competed, was sold last year for 13,800 euros. So these are highly coveted if you go for the right one. Take a look online, see if you can find one. Vanishingly rare. I have managed to find one for you if this kind of thing is of interest, and I'll share that in a second. But before I get to it, let me just very quickly read out a bit from Kajiva Elephant 900 on MCN, owner's rating 4.7 out of five. So extremely good. Look, MCN say it's got an overall rating of three out of five. They say it's a, a lovely bike to ride, but the reliability and quality lets it down. Have a listen to this bit. The bike was blighted by typical early 1990s Italian woes of poor paint, iffy reliability and insufficient corrosion resistance. And that was asking for trouble. However, no major mechanical disasters, but they need treating with kid gloves. So if you fancy being brave, you're going to get a genuinely rare piece of Italian exotica that may well rust before your eyes but if you're ever in the glorious position of being on a sand dune, oh, you've got the right tool for the job. There's a 1993 model here, which will be the first year of its generation, the very first year, listed four months ago, reduced from six and a half grand to 9,000 or to 5,900. Listed as good condition, 12 months MOT. And listen to this, just been... UK registered after having left Germany. So imported from Germany over to the UK. And they even say here, a Paris-Dakar classic, ready to ride away. Do you fancy being brave? Six grand for one of those. Look, I'm not brave enough for that, but it's still quite cool. Thank you so much everyone for listening and watching this week's episode. Have a great week all. I'll speak to you in the next one.